a rabbi's home vandalized. It's very unsettling. The disturbing damage. If you're trying to take us down, you're actually doing the opposite. And the family's message to the vandals during times of heightened tensions. Plus, there's shooting and there's there's mayhem outside. A fifth Canadian is now confirmed dead. The last message I have from him is, Mommy, they're here. The heroic last moments of Netta Epstein, who died protecting his girlfriend, as calls grow for Israel to allow humanitarian aid to reach Gaza. And then frustrations in the Fraser Valley. On November 15th, everything has changed. My house is worth zero right now. The long road to recovery and why homeowners are calling on the province to do more. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A rabbi in Surrey says his home was targeted by a vandal, even as fighting rages between Israel and Hamas. And that is prompting an outpouring of support tonight from the community. Cassidy Moscone joins us now live from Crescent Beach. And Cassidy, there is tight security for this rally. Yes, there is. There are members of the Sari police force here in attendance tonight. Officers have actually been checking in on the Jewish community here all week and never did its members think that they would be the target of such a hate crime here in BC. An act of hate caught on camera. As you can see, guys throwing eggs, I can't call and... Uh... A rabbi's Surrey home targeted, shelled with eggs, a swastika signed on the window. He's throwing eggs at my house here. This is me over here. He's throwing eggs. Zev Strux caught the culprit in the act on Friday night. You know, what, what was going through your head? I hope he doesn't shoot me. If he made the wrong move, like I had to be ready to do something. I was not surprised. The mindset that causes a person to throw eggs is the mindset that says, I'm happy that people were burned alive in their homes and in their cars. The man walked away. Police were called. Rabbi Strzok says officers are investigating. This country of Canada is a very peaceful country. And to have all of the darkness from our history books come and sprout even here is completely unsettling. Unsettling, but not broken. The community vowing to come together. When Jewish people are threatened, they always come together stronger. Just like in Israel, the entire country has forgotten its differences that they were dealing with before, and now they are solidly together. And that's exactly what the Jewish community has done here tonight. There's well over 50 people inside, um, you know, standing in um, support in the wake of Friday's attack and also standing in solidarity with the people of Israel. There has been prayers, there's been song, even the local MLA is in attendance, all spreading the message of resilience and hope. Cassidy, thank you. That's Cassidy Moscone reporting live from Crescent Beach.
Ottawa has doubled its estimate of the number of Canadians who want to leave Israel and Gaza. Ottawa continues to urge Canadians to get out of the region, with Defence Minister Bill Blair posting this evening that two additional flights left Tel Aviv today on military jets with 300 people on board. The evacuation comes as a fifth Canadian was confirmed dead. Jeff Semple reports. This small, tight-knit Israeli community of Kafar Azah was one of the first to be attacked by Hamas. We didn't really understand what was going on. Ayala Chahar Epstein is Israeli-Canadian, her family originally from Montreal, but she grew up here near the Gaza border. We know the drill very well. When the alarm goes off, we go into the safe room. In the safe room, she started messaging her extended family members in the community, who lived in an apartment with his fiance nearby. So it starts at 7.55. Ayala showed us her chat history from that morning. She asked her son to phone her. Mommy, I can't call you. Okay, sweetheart, when you can. Then Ayala received a message that her mother-in-law had been hurt. She ran over to their house down the street to find her mother-in-law shot to death. The terrorists were there all over. They were killing people in neighbor houses. There's yelling in Arabic and there's shooting and there's there's mayhem outside. She ran into the safe room and messaged her son Netta again. And now I'm asking him is are they shooting in your neighborhood? Yes. And there's yelling in Hebrew and there's massive shooting. So I write to him, okay my sweetheart, just hold Iran tightly. I love you. And he sent me this big hearts. The last message I have from him is um Mommy, they're here. Hamas gunmen broke into Netta's apartment where he and his fiancée, Irene, were hiding. Then they threw a grenade. Very close to where she was and he, Netta, um, jumped on it uh, to protect her. The grenade detonated. Netta's fiancée remained hidden and thankfully the gunman never saw her and she managed to escape. <laughs> Over a week later, crews are still recovering the dead from the community. Some of the bodies are rigged with explosives. Then, Sunday morning, the family finally received confirmation. Netta did not survive, nor did three other members of their extended family. We were the targets. We, civilians. Jeff Semple, Global News, Jerusalem. The UN Secretary General is calling on Hamas to immediately release hostages and appealing to Israel to allow humanitarian aid to reach Gaza. The call comes as the conflict between Israel and Hamas continues to escalate. The battle sounds ring over Gaza as flares light up the night sky a short time ago. Local officials say the combined death toll in both Israel and Gaza exceeds 4,000 people. Reggie Cicchini has the latest. One by one, buildings across Gaza are decimated by Israeli forces. These are said to be Hamas hideouts and command centers. But in between are those who have no connection to this militant group resulting in a humanitarian crisis of epic proportion. Israeli military officials say they have extended the window for Gazans to move south. But it's a tall ask as hospitals continue to receive injured patients or treat the most defenseless. We will not leave, this doctor says. We need days and weeks to secure another place. 
That's all but impossible with Israel nearing the point of a ground invasion. The country's prime minister speaking to his newly installed security cabinet on Sunday says this sends a message to the enemy and the world. But the White House, while standing by with more aid, has reportedly expressed concern for Israel's long-term plans, with experts arguing the state is in a difficult position. Throughout Israel's history, they've been masters of the preemptive strike. The problem here is they're playing catch-up not only militarily, but strategically. America's top diplomat was in Egypt on Sunday, pushing for coordination on safe passage, promising to stand by Israel while reiterating response needs to be in a way that protects shared values. As President Biden has said, the way that Israel does this matters. Blinken heads back to Israel Monday, where there are ongoing concerns from outside dangers, including Iran and its proxies. The U.S. says if they step in, America will take action. They want it to be clear that they really will take action. What they're hoping for, I think, is we go big and then we go home, not go big or go home. But for those on the ground in this conflict, time may now be the next commodity that's running out. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. These are ice cream freezers, says Dr. Yasser Ali ice cream freezers containing the bodies of the dead. He says they're in such gruesome state they haven't been identified. Seemingly relentless strikes on Gaza means there's little time for people to dig out loved ones trapped under the rubble before another round of attacks begin and another run for help to a hospital that may or may not have supplies or power. The Gaza Health Ministry says more than 2,600 people have lost their lives in the past week. That number continues to climb. Doctors have been warning of the horrific conditions in hospitals. Too many patients, too few doctors, and not enough medical supplies. Global News has been speaking with Dr. Gassi Abu Sitta at the main facility in Gaza. He shared this audio message update with us on Sunday. The catastrophe in the hospital is just waiting to happen. There are tens of thousands of people who've sought refuge in the corridors, in the doorways, in the stairwell, everywhere, everywhere you can imagine, every corner. And with the hygiene and with the unseasonably warm weather, this is a typhus or cholera epidemic waiting to happen. Before Israel declared war, vowing to eliminate Hamas from Gaza, there was a high level of poverty and hunger in the enclave. Now, those with the World Food Program says even their staff need help. We have staff who, who are in shelters, who are not safe, who call us and say, hey, can, can the bakeries that give food to the IDPs, can, can they also give us some food? Humanitarian corridors are being negotiated, but so far aid is not getting in. Many are leaving what little they have in the north, following Israel's warnings and heading south for their own protection. I try to evacuate my house. We've been working with Aziz Al-Kahoud in Gaza. He's finally been able to move his family a bit further south, but he did not find safety. These are three houses targeted by Israeli forces, occupation forces, not less than 100 uh, person under this uh, Destruction. Civilians are never supposed to be targets in war. The UN has been calling for their protection. Agencies under the international banner are working together and are hopeful they'll be able to move in supplies soon. We call for that unimpeded access because we need these three priorities 
and, and supplies in the medical supplies, the water and the food. That's our priority as a, as a community. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken will be back here in Israel on Monday. Many are hoping that his quick return will mean good news for those trapped and suffering in Gaza. Crystal Gamansing, Global News, Jerusalem. Coming up, tackling the housing crisis, the new legislative changes targeting short-term rentals in the province will have a live report ahead. Plus, next steps for parents and students at Hazel Trembat School, the support services available one day after fire destroyed the building. Big week ahead at the B.C. legislature with important pieces of legislation coming, including one bill targeting short-term rentals. Our Legislative Bureau Chief Keith Baldry joins us now with the latest. And Keith, what does the government have planned? Yeah, it's going to be a very busy day over here at the legislature tomorrow. Starting in the morning, uh, Housing Minister Ravi Kailan and Premier David Eby will be holding a news conference after Kailan introduces a piece of legislation, as you say, deals with short-term rentals. So there's a couple of, of pieces of legislation coming down the pipe. Here's a quick look at what we're talking about. There is going to be a crackdown on short-term rentals, such as Airbnb, and that will involve changes to and requirements for municipal powers on re-housing rentals, particularly short-term ones. So they will have greater powers to police them, but also the expectation they will police short-term rentals to make a dent in the rental market. Also in the afternoon, that's the morning event, in the afternoon we're going to see Police Act amendments brought in by Solicitor General Mike Farnworth, largely affecting transition to new police forces in municipal settings. Other municipalities, not just Surrey, are looking at moving away from either the RCMP to a municipal police force or even looking at a broader question, uh, do they go to a regional police force? So the Police Act will be amended in several key areas. One will give uh, the minister, whoever the minister is of the day, uh, the ability to get involved in any transition process right at the start rather than halfway through or near the end. Also guaranteeing the minister access to information that really wasn't available throughout the whole Surrey uh, fiasco. And then finally, some sort of provision that will prevent other municipalities to go do what Surrey did which is to go down one path in terms of one way of, of transitioning away from a police force and then change their mind after an election. That's going to be amendment in there as well. So a very busy day starting with the crackdown on short-term rentals in the morning and new amendments to the Police Act in the afternoon. A busy time over here at the legislature tomorrow. All right. Lots of uh, important issues ahead. Thanks, Keith. That's Keith Baldry reporting live for us from Victoria. Well, it's been nearly two years since massive floods smothered the Fraser Valley and changed the way we look at atmospheric rivers. For countless people, recovery has been a long process, and for some, recovery merely a pipe dream. Grace Key introduces us to residents who are growing increasingly frustrated. I had my chicken hose up there. And it was all in the nice landscaped up there with pathways and that. Irv Workington's house wasn't damaged during the atmospheric floods almost two years ago, but he's been unable to live in it after the rains increased the risk of landslides on the crown land above his house, dropping the value of his property to zero. Most of your equity is tied up in your place for retirement. And, and it's a sad thing to lose that. Six homes in the Sherlock River Valley area are destroyed or deemed unsafe. Private insurance didn't cover the damage and disaster financial assistance is unlikely because the risk of future landslides makes them ineligible. We wouldn't have been able to build there if it wasn't safe. So we have a legal permit to build there in a residential area. This is not some shack in the boonies. And I paid my taxes and I was a good citizen. And uh, on November 15th, everything has changed. My house is worth zero right now. 
It's been estimated to be worth two and a half million dollars. I put a tremendous amount of sweat into this place. A statement from the province reads, we recognize that this has been an extremely challenging situation for the impacted residents. The province is continuing to work with the Fraser Valley Regional District to explore all possibilities for the best ways to support residents. The assessed value of the six properties in 2021 was less than $5 million. The homeowners want fair market value for their properties. This seems like a hit and run by the government. The Crown land has destroyed our property and where, are they, where is the government. They, nothing has happened. I was a hard-working person in my life and um, uh, I didn't ask ever anybody for help. I did it myself. And now is the time, I think, for the government to actually do something. It's been two years since the atmospheric river hit the region. Since then, the homeowners say they've been unable to move forward with an uncertain financial future and they're turning to the government for help. Grace Key, Global News. A special fund has been set up to support Hazel Trimbat School in Port Coquitlam. Yellow tape surrounds the school site while security patrols the grounds. One day after a major fire reduced the building to rubble. Police believe it's a suspicious fire and say no one was injured. The school board is busy setting up facilities at Winslow Center to accommodate about 300 students. And the SD43 Education Foundation is raising money to replace equipment and resources. It's just absolutely devastating. So, you know, both as a, as a parent and as the mayor of the city, um, my job is to support people in this community and, and be there for them and answer questions. Uh, and most of all, give them the confidence that we're going to rebuild this school. The city's going to be a very strong voice in getting this school rebuilt. Counseling services will be available to students and staff as they transition into their new learning environment. Just ahead, council chaos. So what are you referring to? You've been ordered to leave What are you referring to? The lack of progress at Harrison Hot Springs council meetings and what's being done to move items along ahead of tomorrow's meetings. Plus. Growing local berries year-round, it could become reality with a new million-dollar grant awarded to Quantum Polytechnic to study the feasibility. Municipal watchers in the Fraser Valley will be keeping an eye on Harrison Hot Springs tomorrow evening to see if council can get anything done. As Councillor Fascio untook action prohibited by bylaw by releasing distorted confidential information from the closed Meeting, I order you to leave your seat for the meeting. What are you referring to? You've been ordered to leave your what seat. What are you referring to? The last meeting devolved into chaos without accomplishing anything when the mayor tried to force Councillor Leo Fascio out of the meeting. The council adjourned after more than 45 minutes without even approving an agenda, leaving emergency management grants and the official community plan untouched. The reality is we all want the same thing. We all want what's best for this community. How we do that is the question. By last week, the province hired an advisor to help council get its work done, offering a five-hour orientation session for the mayor and three councillors. The next council meeting is planned for Monday at 7. The desperate search is winding down for an elderly man in Whistler. 
Ron McKean was last seen Monday, and since then, crews have been beating the bushes trying to find any sign of the 80-year-old man or his dog, Lexi. That includes a massive search yesterday involving 83 search and rescue specialists from across the province. Despite the effort, McKean could not be found. Those crews are now heading home. Officials have consulted with the family about next steps. The Greater Vancouver Food Bank has a new home. The new location on Lougheed Highway in Vancouver will be the food bank's home for the next 10 years, replacing its old home on Terminal Avenue. The food bank has gone through seven different short-term locations since the start of the COVID pandemic in 2020 and has had trouble finding a more permanent location. We were in donated warehouses and we had short-term leases and we had to constantly keep looking and we must have looked at 15 or 20 buildings easily um, and they were either in um, really high states of disrepair and would require a million and a half or two million to get up to where we needed them to be um, or they just, they just weren't suitable. So our, our requirements are fairly complex. The food bank says they have seen a 30% increase in the amount of people using its services over the last two years and a rise in the amount of times people visit. Coming up, turning dreams into reality. It's the return of dreams take flight as more than 100 well-deserving children get set to fly down to Disneyland for a trip of a lifetime. Imagine eating fresh-grown local berries year-round. Well, that could become reality if research out of Kwantlen Polytechnic University is successful. They've been awarded $1 million from the Homegrown Innovation Challenge to demonstrate what it would take to grow berries in greenhouses throughout the winter. That includes making the operation carbon neutral and pesticide-free. They'll grow strawberries and blackberries in a Langley greenhouse. Those are routinely among the large Canadian imports in winter and the researchers hope to eventually compete with imported crops. Yes, you will see a day when you have Fraser Valley strawberries for Christmas. In fact, this year ours are going to produce for Christmas. We may not have too many tables with strawberries on them, but at least it's, it's possible. Our ultimate goal is to be cost competitive because if we can't be cost competitive, then our farmers are not going to grow strawberries or blackberries. The growers will use robotic monitoring for pests, apply UV lights to limit disease and growing and control the growing environment. Well, that is a reality that we would love to see. Well, senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now on this Sunday. Thanks for being here, Christy. Lots of uh, precipitation ahead for the work week. Yeah, so we've already had a series of systems, one Friday night, another one Saturday night. Now we've got another one on deck. Yes, we certainly had the floodgates open Friday night with uh, basically a parade of storms. And look at the moisture that's headed towards the south coast right now. Now, the hardest hit region will be the west coast of Vancouver Island. We're talking about 75 millimeters of rain, but for Metro Vancouver, 20 to 40 is possible. A little less from Nanaimo down towards Victoria, 10 to 20 for your area. Now, it's not going to be consistent throughout the day. Here's the time 
Sunshine Line, heaviest for Vancouver Island overnight, and then shifts across Metro Vancouver, Southern Vancouver Island through the morning hours. By the afternoon, the main part of that front shifting further inland, you can see the rainfall for inland regions, but we've become much more spotty across the south coast. You may even see some breaks of blue sky. Don't let your uh, guard down. We could still see very intense pockets of rainfall along with a risk of uh, thunderstorms at that time. And then into our Tuesday, we'll see that system drive away and we'll see a little bit of a break in the interior, but we've got another system on deck for the south coast for Tuesday as well. So both Monday, Tuesday, looking a little bit stormy. Now on Monday, we're going to see a strong southeast flow, especially through the Strait of Georgia. Check with BC Ferries just in case if you're headed out tomorrow morning, there could be delays. No wind warnings in effect at this time, but just a heads up on that. Now for Metro Vancouver, we'll likely see wind gusts up to about 50 kilometers an hour, but near the water, they could be up to 70. So there is a chance we could see some power outages certainly tomorrow, but again, no wind warnings in effect. So a bit of a rain shadow effect for those of you in the Okanagan Valley, cloud cover for you, but not a lot of moisture. Uh, we will see rainfall though later in the day for uh, the interior regions, but the, for the south coast, it's through the morning and then spotty conditions in the afternoon. Again, windy conditions expected not only tomorrow, but on Tuesday also as the next system drives on shore, we'll see a bit of a transition day on Wednesday, still a chance of showers, but at this point, the long range is showing some much brighter conditions towards the end of the week, Krista. Uh, we'll see how things transpire as we get through the next few days, but it's certainly going to be a rain jacket kind of day tomorrow. Back to you. Absolutely. Pack those umbrellas. Thanks, Christy. Well, it is orientation day for the first Dreams Take Flight event since the start of the COVID pandemic. Each year, 125 BC kids with physical, mental and social challenges get to experience the trip of a lifetime to Disneyland in partnership with Air Canada. Dreams Take Flight has been ongoing since 1993. And with this year's edition being the first since 2019, it has all those involved excited as ever. And what a great and incredible program. Do you know moment. I've done, I used to be part of that program. Not, not as much anymore. Yeah. And I did six or seven. Mm. I see my good friend Derek Wong, Melissa Hans mm. is so generous with that. It's such a great program. Oh, awesome. It is a, quite a day to fly to Disneyland yeah. in one day, <laughs> do Disneyland and fly back. Let's just say it's a little quieter coming back yeah, in a little the airplane yeah. than it is going there, but it's a great cause. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Canucks are flying yeah, all over the place too. That's right. They're on their way to Philadelphia today to take on uh, the Flyers on uh, Tuesday. They're off to the start that they were dreaming of that uh, not a lot of fans were sure they could do against the Oilers, but they won again last night, so we'll take a look at that. Seahawks back in action today in Cincinnati, and Adam Hadwin uh, looking for another PGA Tour title in Vegas today, so lots of local. Coming. Yeah, lots of local mm -hmm. for sure. All right, thanks so much, okay. Barry. Well, still ahead, major library makeover. How one Prince George library is overhauling its indigenous collection. The titles and signage they're changing in the spirit of reconciliation. Rainbow flags flooded the streets of Kelowna today during a rally to protect trans rights. This follows protests last month against SOGI, also known as the Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity Resource Program that can be used in schools. Victoria Femia reports. Thousands chanting the same message. Trans rights are human rights. A rally in Kelowna Sunday to protect trans rights and counter hate. To press back against increasing attacks on our communities, which we've seen the latest example of which was the protests on September 20th, um, which, you know, I was there. It was absolutely shocking. 
This event serves as a response to the anti-Soji protests that happened across the country last month. And many here have said protests like that are causing fear among the trans community, especially the youth. But we know that there were trans kids and trans adults who went to confront those protesters and they were horrified, in tears, they were shocked um, and, and they were scared as well because they're saying why do these people say these things about us? Why do these people not want us to just be who we are? Why are they trying to stop this? Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity, or SOGI, provides educational resources for educators to promote inclusivity in schools. It's something that sparked much controversy. However, Sunday's ralliers believe the controversy stems from misinformation. I think a lot of people don't even take the time to go and actually look at what it, what it really is. They just hear people saying things and things get repeated that aren't true and so it's, it's a ton of misinformation. Ultimately, the goal of the rally is to help trans people feel like they belong. I'm here because trans people are cool and I love trans people. Yes, we're here to counter protest, but we're also here to show our own message and also to support and lift up our own communities. It's been a really challenging time for many in our communities, very isolating, uh, very dark time. And I think it's been really incredible here to see everyone bound together in support of one another. Victoria Famia, Global News, Kelowna. The public library in Prince George has taken a major step towards reconciliation, painstakingly updating the names of categories containing information about Indigenous peoples. We get the story from CKPG News. Indigenous people have long been referred to as Indians, and while we know that's incorrect now, many libraries and their cataloging systems continue to classify Indigenous documents and history under Indians of North America. This is one of thousands of subject headings that the library focused on changing to properly reflect Indigenous history, so Indians has been changed to Indigenous. Most of us can intuitively appreciate the power of words in shaping our, our ideas, beliefs, attitudes, um, but I think it's also important to appreciate um, the role and history of cultural institutions like libraries in shaping the way language is used. Several changes, like off-reservation boarding schools being changed to residential schools, may not seem particularly significant, but the proper documentation of people's history and their lived experience can make a huge difference when it comes to truth and reconciliation. Elder Clifford Kwa is a residential school survivor, and he says the library's work could play a large role in truth and reconciliation. Yeah, it is very convenient for them to do this, you know, upgrade their system so that you can type in and get the answer right away. Learning from books and documents is a great way to further understand what residential school survivors have gone through, but Kwa says if you want to take truth and reconciliation one step further, the best way to learn is to speak to survivors like him. I dealt with the truth first, then the, later on the reconciliation. And I've been doing that since 2008. Instead of, say, September 30th, TRC Day, I do this every day. Truth and reconciliation is an ongoing effort, but actions like the library's new categorization can help make it easier than ever to learn more about Indigenous history. For CKPG News, I'm Tommy Osborne. Coming up, Canucks hang on for a win against the Oilers. The scrappy game Saturday in Edmonton, plus the Seahawks look to add to their win streak. Barry DeLay is back with your sports.
the spooky season at Central Park. The Halloween celebration is free fun for everyone, including a spooky outdoor maze, carnival games, a photo booth, food trucks, and a fireworks finale. Let your taste buds run wild at Cornucopia, Whistler's annual fall festival of food and drink. With over 100 events for festival goers, including tastings, culinary demonstrations, winemaking dinners, and more. For Our BC, I'm Yvonne Schell. Our BC is brought to you by Return It Express. Got empty drink containers? Don't trash them. Make sure to hold on to them until you can return it for recycling. All right, Barry DeLay is in now, and Barry, likely many of the Canucks fans are still buzzing from the game yesterday. Well, I know the game was yesterday, but when the Canucks are winning and they're playing great, you can't look at the mm -hmm. highlights enough. No, it's and, so great. And uh, I have to say, I mean, it was they, you know, they probably didn't deserve to win yesterday <laughs> because Edmonton really gave yeah. it to them. But this is a game they would never a chance of winning last year, but they stuck with it, and they got goaltending. When's the last time a Canuck goalie stole a game? It's been mm -hmm. a while. Who wasn't named Thatcher Demko? <laughs> All right, thanks so much, Krista. The uh, Canucks emphasized getting off to a good start this year. Well, so far, mission accomplished. At this time last week, I'm sure they would have gladly taken a split in two games versus the Oilers. But thanks to Casey DeSmith, the Canucks swept both games from Edmonton. DeSmith got his first win as a Canuck with a stellar 37-save performance last night. Stealing two points in a game, I don't think they would have had a prayer of winning last year. The Canucks were on the ropes a lot last night, but they didn't panic. They kept battling, kept their structure and their goalie was fantastic. It's early, but this team is much improved. Vancouver looking like a completely different team. Comes all the way over now. Two on O for the Canucks all of a sudden. Pedersen a pass, a shot, and a goal from Stednika. And the Canucks regain the lead just like that. Cut off by Hoaglander coming in with speed. Lafferty driving to the net. He scores! as a Vancouver Canuck, and it's 4-3. McDavid has room to move in. He does just that, the wrister. And with the answer is Casey DeSmith. What a start for Vancouver to this season. The Rick Tockett game plan successful for two games in a row against McDavid and the Oilers' final score, 4-3. to three. Obviously, coming to a new team, it feels so good to contribute early and get two points and, you know, be, be a big part of the win and uh, just kind of come together as a team early, and I think we're doing that. Yeah, we had some good pushback. I mean, um, you know, we killed a lot of penalties. We had some guys on fumes. Um, you know, we were overusing some guys because of the penalty kill, so I give a lot of credit to guys. You know, I thought Casey DeSmith was outstanding, battled his ass off. Petey was, I thought he was a terrific, he had more, he played with every, I think every person online, he did a great job. I mean, I, I mean, the whole team did a nice job. Um, you know, Edmonton, we knew they were going to come and, they, you know, they were coming. Like where they have seven or six, seven power plays, so it's not a recipe against that team. And they are in Philadelphia Tuesday. Meanwhile, final round of the Shriners Children's Open from Las Vegas. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin began the day tied for the lead. Had a slow start, but got back into it here on the 13th. How about this? A little lap around the hole before it goes down for Birdie. He's in a six-way tie for first. Then after driving the 290-yard par four, this for Eagle to take 
solo possession of first, but it just gets a piece of the hole and stays out. He settles for birdie to get to 19 under, but his playing partner and the defending champ Tom Kim does roll in this birdie to get to 20 under and a one-shot lead over Hadwin with three to play. Kim is only 21, Adam is 35, but then at the par 5 16th, it's a birdie hole, maybe even an eagle chance for Hadwin after a great drive, but then disaster, mid-iron in hand, and this is headed for a watery grave. Hadwin would make bogey, and basically that was it. Down two strokes with two to go. At the 18th, Hadwin at least will fatten his bank account. This is for solo second as he lines up the birdie putt. Had he finished in a tie for second, he would have won about 500000 This goes in, so he wins 915000 a $400,000 putt. But it's Tom Kim going back-to-back -back in the desert. He will uh, tap in for the one-shot win at the Shriners. Ontario's Taylor Pendrith was tied third. Nick Taylor tied 13th. Adam Svensson tied 18th. So a good week for the Canadians. The Seahawks were back at it today after uh, having the bye week. Seahawks have won three in a row, but they had a tough test on the road in Cincinnati against a Bengals team that had a slow start, but is starting to play a lot more like the team that went to the Super Bowl just two years ago. Seahawks' first matchup versus Cincinnati since 2015. Opening drive, Seattle moved the ball well. Geno Smith will find Kenneth Walker, who will tiptoe down the sidelines, gets into Bengals territory. And that would lead to this, a one-yard touchdown run for Walker, capping an 11-play, 75-yard drive. What a start for the Seahawks. They are up 7 to nothing. But Joe Burrow, who is finally back to full health after battling a calf injury most of this season, takes the Bengals in on their first drive. Hits Tyler Boyd for the touchdown. So it's 7-7. And then on their next possession, they find the end zone again, this time Burrow to the rookie Andre Yoshivas. 14-10 Bengals at the half. Defensive battle at that, uh, from the, that point on. Fourth quarter, Seahawks down four, but knocking on the door. But that Bengal defense got to Geno Smith. They sacked him on fourth down as well. So Seattle gives up the ball on downs, but they got it back and got back into the red zone. Fourth down from the nine. But again, the pressure is too much. Geno's arm hit as he throws, and the Seahawks just can't complete the deal. They had their chances, but Seattle falls 17-13. Their record now 3-2. Seahawks come home to play the Cardinals next Sunday. Meanwhile, 49ers and Browns. This was before kickoff. Things getting a little heated. 49ers, one of two unbeaten teams in the NFL. They were 5-0 and big favorites to win in Cleveland today. But the Browns came back from an early 10-0 deficit. Kareem Hunt takes the pitch, then scampers 16 yards for the touchdown. This game would come down to the wire. Final seconds, Browns leading by two. But rookie kicker Jake Moody with the chance to win it at the death. A 41-yarder, which is usually... Pretty much standard for an NFL kicker, but he is wide right. A lot of pressure on that kick, and he missed, and the 49ers lose for the first time 1917. So San Fran now 5-1. The other undefeated team, the Philadelphia Eagles, taking on the Jets. Eagles 5-0. Jets defense was the story. Jalen Hurts is picked off here by Tony Adams as the Eagles were actually leading by two late. A first down clinches the win, but not only did they not get it, Adams 
takes this one all the way inside the Eagle 10, a 44-yard return, third interception, fourth turnover of the day for the Eagles. The Jets' defense, one of the best in the NFL. Next play, Brees Hall is going to take it in the end zone for the touchdown, and the Jets knock off the Eagles 2014. Philly's first loss, so there are no undefeated teams left in the NFL. The Jets are 3-3. Three and three. In tennis now, Leila Annie Fernandez serving it up in the final at the Hong Kong Open. Fernandez taking on Katerina Siniakova of Czechia. Fernandez now 21 years old, trying to regain that form that took her to the U.S. Open finals as a 19-year-old and uh, took the second set 6-4 thanks to that winner. Third set tied 4-all and Leila will load up the forehand again, hammers it down the line, goes up five games to four and then on match point. Big serve, deep approach. Siniakaba will hit long and that's it. Leila Fernandez wins her third WTA event. The Hong Kong Open moves up to number 43 in the world rankings. Rugby World Cup from France, quarterfinals featuring England and Fiji. Second half, England led by 14, but Fiji equalized thanks to two tries in four minutes. This one by Villamoni Botitu tied it up 24-24, but England stabilized the ship, regained the lead on a drop goal, and then get the big run from Elliot Daly in the late stages. That would lead to another Owen Farrell penalty, and the English fans can rejoice. I'm sure they're still partying. England beat Fiji 30-24 to book their ticket to the semifinals next Saturday. The other quarter had host France against South Africa. The French had been so dominant in this tournament, but the Springboks really tested them. This try, though, by Piato Mobaka helped France lead 22-19 at the half. But late in the second half, Eben Etzebeth goes in for the try, and South Africa never trailed again. They go on for the 29-28 upset win, so France is out. It'll be South Africa and England in the semis. New Zealand-Argentina meet in the other semi on Friday. Baseball playoffs, game one of the American League Championship Series. It's the Battle of Texas, Rangers and Astros from Houston. Top second, Rangers who are 5-0 in the playoffs. They will strike first. Jonah Heim with the base hit to right center. Evan Carter will race around to score, and the Rangers have tacked on one more. They lead it 2-0 in the fifth. That is it for sports. All right, all right. Thanks so much, Barry. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, still ahead. It's called the Wurlitzer and is nearly a century years old. We'll meet one talented organist able to master the historic instrument. Stay with us. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Vancouver residents will have the chance to tell council how they feel about allowing grocery stores to sell wine. Council will hold a public hearing Thursday on a change to the city's zoning bylaws to allow wine sales on grocery store shelves. Five years ago, the city allowed grocery stores to set up separate liquor operations in their locations, but only one store bothered. So staff are recommending allowing grocery stores to stock wine on their shelves instead. A silent movie Mondays returned to the Orpheum, featuring an intricate organ from a bygone era. As Jay Durant tells us in This is BC, the instrument is a part of Canadian history and one Vancouver man has learned to play it very well. It's taken years for organist Michael Dirt to master the mighty Wurlitzer and all its complexities. You got the gas brake and the clutch down here. 
It's more like an airplane cockpit, which is why Dirk was first drawn to it as a kid. Any young boy is like, nah, that's what I want to play. These grand pipe organs were manufactured for theaters, churches, and other venues through the first half of the 20th century. The Wurlitzer at Vancouver's Orpheum Theater is 96 years old and is Canada's last theater organ still playing in its original home. The piano is all about the attack because it's a percussion instrument of a hammer striking a string. An organ is uh, letting wind pass through a pipe. The end result emanating from a room high up in the rafters. On show night, there aren't many sounds Dirk can't replicate. Uh, you've got the telephone, the horn, bird calls, fire alarm, train whistle, uh, snare drum. I improvise the whole way through. My feet should hopefully be able to do anything my hands can do. The most prolific thing would be like Flight of the Bumblebee. A uniquely talented one-man orchestra, breathing life into the Orpheum's musical showpiece nearly a century later. There just isn't mentorship really available of that style or that period. In, in ways, I'm along for a ride itself, and, and I am enjoying myself until I find myself in a situation that I need to cleverly get out of. And it does happen. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. And we were just mm. saying incredible talent. Mm -hmm. um, Takes a lot of skill. Mm -hmm. they, the, a pipe organ, they used to have one at the old Chicago Stadium where the Blackhawks yeah. used to play. And apparently, like, very few people know how to play them. And it takes, <laughs> takes a lot Can of know-how. Yeah. So, yeah, pretty cool. No, we'll leave that to the pros for mm -hmm. sure. All right, uh, Christy, uh, wet week ahead. Yeah, so certainly the early part of the week, we've got two systems that are set to push in. So for Monday, expect periods of rain. We may see some breaks in the clouds in the afternoon, but don't leave home without your rain jacket. Still pockets of heavy rain even in the afternoon with the risk of thunderstorms. Windy as well tomorrow. All right, stormy Monday. Thanks so much for watching. Have a good night.